X-Ray. This show is sponsored by Get Your Money Together Bootcamp. Oh My Dollars, immersive online course that covers step-by-step everything you need to know to craft your money plan, including instructional videos and worksheets. To sign up and get started conquering your money, head to bootcamp.ohmydollar.com. Use code PODCAST for 15% off. Welcome to Oh My Dollar, personal finance show with a dash of glitter. Dealing with money can be scary and stressful. Here we give practical, friendly advice about money that helps you tackle the financial overwhelm. I'm your host, Lillian Kerbake. Let's talk about money. Our first question comes from Delia, and Delia asks, how do you deal with financial peer pressure? My coworkers know that I'm on a tight budget, but they still give me grief when I try to ward off any attempts to eat out, like when I brought my own food, or they try and convince me that a few dollars just isn't a big deal. It's just not getting through to them. Oh, this is a good question, Delia. Um, I mean, I think the first answer is that it is none of their business. <laughs> um, I mean, this this is often one of the hardest parts for people when it comes to budgeting is not actually their own self-control levels. It's the amount of peer pressure that you have to engage in like kind of willful disregard of the budget and consumerism. Yeah, or the quote, quote unquote, socially mandatory activities. Exactly. Um you know, there's a couple when it comes specifically to the instances of eating out for lunch. Um, I did a couple things. One, I worked in a, a when I really started aggressively budgeting and decided that I was just over the frustration of like not planning my meals and not always packing a lunch for work. I uh, I worked in a really tight knit nonprofit office, and so. I made it a game for everybody. And all these folks said that they wanted to kind of have it together to save more money, but then they didn't really realistically do anything about it. And so I did a uh, packing lunch challenge at my office. So I actually like made it a thing that everybody was on board with and it kind of fulfilled that niche. So I said like, hey, for the month of May, we are everybody, we are all aiming to do five days a week of packing lunch. and what ended up coming out of that was that people cooked together. Um, you know, like they made like salads. We didn't have a we didn't have a stove at work, but they made like salads at work. Um, people hung out in the you know kind of makeshift cafeteria that we had and ate lunch together. Um, and then when it was really nice outside, people didn't have to spend all this time hemming and hawing about which place we were going to walk to for lunch they all just we all just grabbed our lunch and walked across the street right go to some park or something parks are free parks are free um so i mean that's one way to do it is to kind of bring them in on it most people want to save money and have this vague idea that they they should probably stop eating out so often um but they don't actually feel like they have a way to do it so bringing them in on it can be great that doesn't work in every workplace right like i worked in a really small tight-knit office where people had relatively similar schedules um, another, another thing to do is to just be, say that you have other plans. I mean, yeah. having other plans is a great way. You don't need to dive into the specifics of your budget or that you're saving money or you've got bigger goals than, you know, eating Thai food for lunch every day. Or that your bag lunch is better than their stupid whole bowl. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, you know, you can just, uh, you don't have to dive into it. You can just say that you have other plans. But a really easy thing to do is offer an alternative that says like, hey, I'm not, you know, I'm not up for it today, but tomorrow do you want to bring your lunch and we can go to the park together? Or, hey, uh, if you're going to the food carts, I can meet you and I, I can bring my lunch and we can all eat lunch together. You know, fulfilling that sort of social obligation without having it put undue financial pressure on you. 
The other thing is to just, you know, kind of give up caring about that because it turns out that a lot of times when people push back on this, it's because they know that they should probably stop eating out so often. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But they and they don't want to see you kind of have better habits than them because there's this kind of like jealousy, jealousy combined with kind of like shame that factors into it. Um, And you know, I got a lot of crap for um, for never going out to eat lunch, um, and but I made it very clear that you could always invite me to go walk with you to get a coffee. And I I didn't you know necessarily buy a coffee every day, but I would always go on a walk. And and what ended up happening is people stopped trying to invite me to go, like go drive to go to Benihana for lunch, which I had no interest in doing. Um, but they would invite me to walk with them for coffee every day, and I found that was like one a lot better for my budget, and two, fulfilled a lot of the same social obligations without also having to be really stressed out about overspending my budget. Um, But last but not least, you know, I used to have coworkers give me crap when we would, you know, walk to a coffee meeting and they would, you know, I'd be like, oh, I don't have any, I don't have any money left in my coffee budget, so I'm not going to get anything today. And they'd be like, but we just got paid yesterday. Like you clearly you have it. And I'd be like, that money is allocated two months in the future. Like, right, like, right. That, it's yeah, a budget. yeah, like I'm not, I don't, I don't live up paycheck to paycheck. You know, I, I'm a couple months in the future and they would give me crap about it, but then they would kind of be underlyingly envious. And that's actually how I started teaching workshops is that my coworkers would maybe make fun of me publicly. And then they would quietly come to me and go like, what are your secrets? <laughs> <laughs> like, but what do you mean by you allocated it two months in the future? How do you do that? Right. Well, that just sounds like some good positive role modeling. <laughs> yeah. Some of it is going to have to come from your own internal willpower, but feel free to use that peer pressure right back at them <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and, and use it for the exactly what they're looking for, right? They're not looking mm. for you to spend money needlessly. They're looking for social interaction or to get to know you better. So find ways to fulfill that need without necessarily... Um, without necessarily hitting your own budget. This applies to friends outside of work, too. There's plenty of ways right. to do this. You know, they're like, oh, you should come out of the bar and get trashed with us. It's like, why don't you come over to my house? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Beer's a lot cheaper here. You can get trash faster uh-huh. if that's your goal. <laughs> a lot of listeners have been writing in asking for advice on how to save more money. Uh, Lillian, you said you have the secret to how to save money. Uh, what is it? Well, the simple answer is to spend less money. <laughs> I this is a thing that people ask all the time and there's a reason that I don't spend a lot of time diving into money saving tips on this show um, and that's because usually the people that are kind of asking for it aren't tracking their expenses yet um, and they're looking for kind of a quick fix and that isn't to say that there aren't some really concrete great ways to save money you know batch cooking um, meal planning shopping for lowest fares, you know, travel hacking if you're if you're into that. Like there's plenty of ways bulk groceries. Bulk groceries. There's lots of ways to save money, but I, the fact of the matter is is that almost everyone I know, regardless of income level, they have a pretty good idea of what they spend money on that they shouldn't be spending money on. Uh-huh. <laughs> like most people know and but they want someone to tell them that there's an easier way. <laughs> right? They they want to kind of think like, "Oh, there's this big there's a super hack that I can do that I won't require any pain or work or diligence on my part." 
Um, Just increase cash flow. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, which that, I mean, that's part of the answer, right? Like if you if you want to increase that gap between what you earn and what you spend, one of the ways is to not increase what you spend, but increase your income. That's great. But like if you're talking about how do I lower expenses? Um, the fact of the matter, the first step is to track your expenses. If mm-hmm. you if you don't know what you're spending, you're not going to be able to figure out what categories to cut. And I mean this. I mean this. So I know I harp on this all the time on the Wait, show. So you're saying to make a budget. I am saying to make a budget. <laughs> and the budget has to be grounded in reality, right? I have people that are like, I'm going to spend $50 a month on groceries. And when last month they spent 500 and they don't know that because they didn't sit down and total it up. Um, and so to not ground your budget in reality is going to set you up for failure and you're going to hate the budget and then it's not going to work. But it's not just budgeting, right? Like it's like actually having a clear grasp on what you're spending. And so if you're like, oh, my God, I can't wait. I want to save money right now, but I need to track my expenses first. Fine. Like print out your bank statement from last month. Hmm. Go through with a pencil and with a fine tooth comb and look at every expense and figure out if it falls into an essential category. If it does, put an E next to it. Figure out if it falls into something that you think you could be getting for cheaper or that maybe you could cut back on and then put an S next to it and then find stuff that is just flat out unnecessary where you're like, yeah, I really I probably shouldn't have spent that money. And that's stuff that you you'll probably going to know it because you probably didn't feel that great a couple days <laughs> after you bought it. Like maybe it felt really great at the time that you bought it. And then like a couple days you're like, oh, really? I a spent- novelty lamp. Yeah, <laughs> I spent that money on that thing. Um and, and then put a U next to those. And there you go. You've got your three categories. And, it, you know, even when I was making like far below minimum wage and working a bunch of jobs, I still knew where I could cut my expenses. Like it, most of us know there there may be a situation where your income and your expenses are super tight and you're like everything is a necessary expense and there's no way to cut it. Um, in, in that case, you might have to look at the income side of the equation. But I think that Quite honestly, you know, folks that are living on low low incomes tend to be better at managing their money than people with lots of money (laughs) um, as far as the day to day. And unfortunately, it tends to be that they're not as good at, at kind of looking at the long term. But you know, you know what it is. You know it's those frozen burritos that you're getting instead of buying the ingredients. Uh, Or you know that it's that you go out to eat to lunch at work every day. Or you know like, oh my God, I do great all week. And then Friday I go out with my friends and I suddenly have a $50 bar tab every week. Like there are, you know what your thing is. And if you don't, you should be tracking your expenses. If you literally have no idea where your money is going, you need to be tracking your expenses. I think you need to be doing it anyway. Um, there's lots of little hacks. And I think actually next month we're going to dive. We're going to have some guests on and we're going to dive into some of the hacks in the different areas of your budget. But this won't help you at all if you are not tracking your expenses. <laughs> so what you're saying is you should have a budget. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, guys. I know it comes back to this every week, but it's true. It's the basis. It's your foundation. Having a budget with Billy and Kirby. Yeah, that's <laughs> essentially the, the, subtitle. the <laughs> subtitle of the show is have a budget. Cool. Well, we've got one more question. Yeah. If we want to move on from that one. I think so. Wrapped it up. Spend less money. Figure out what you're spending money on and spend less of it. <laughs> problem solved. All problems solved. Yep. Uh, so our last question today is from Corey, who says... We have an IRA as well as a 401k, but we don't exceed our contribution limit. I've wondered if it's foolish to do this for management fee reasons. What do you think? 
That's a really good question, Corey. Um, yeah, so the you didn't specify what kind of IRA it is in the question. We've talked before. There's traditional and Roth. Um, Mm -hmm. I usually recommend that after you hit your match on your 401k, you actually do open a Roth IRA as long as your income is below the amount where that makes sense, Um, which let's say a rough estimate is usually if you're making less than 100,000 a year. So most people. (laughs) Um, So the and the reason I recommend the Roth I've talked about before is that it has a lot of flexibility that these other types of retirement accounts don't. Um, it can be really helpful for setting up what's called an early withdrawal ladder where you don't have to pay the penalty if you withdraw before retirement age. Um, and you know, it's, it's tax-free growth. So if you do have a Roth IRA as well as a 401k that you're getting a match on, um, and you're not maxing both of them out, I think, I think that's fine. And it makes perfect sense, right? Like that's actually what I, I generally recommend to folks. And that's just because you want that flexibility of that Roth IRA, but you never want to turn down the free money of that match at work. You didn't mention if you have a match on your 401k, um, it, you know, if you have a match on your 401k, even if you have a traditional IRA, which is your pre-tax account, right? Mm-hmm. Um, even if you have a traditional IRA, essentially a traditional IRA and a 401k at work are almost identical. Right. <laughs> um, the, I, the only difference is that one's in your name and the IRA has a lower contribution limit than the 401k at work. Um, the 401k at work may have a match and I never want you to turn down that match money. So it's perfectly fine that because that match is free money, even if you're paying little extra management fees by having both your own IRA and the 401k. It, right, then it'll probably be paying for itself. It, yeah, totally makes sense. Um, but if you have a traditional IRA and a 401k um, and, you know, they're both traditional and you're not maxing out your 401k at work, um, there's not a ton of reasons necessarily to have a traditional IRA on top of also having the traditional 401k at work mm-hmm. if you're not maxing them out. Um, and that's because the traditional IRA doesn't really offer a ton of advantages. There's some circumstances where it may make sense, which is possibly your 401k at work has really high management fees. Um, if your 401k at work has pretty high management fees, and you're not maxing out your traditional IRA, you could just really divert all that money to your traditional IRA after the match. Mm-hmm. As, as to avoid the yeah. management fees. As to avoid the high management fees. So in, in fact, having both accounts could save you money in management fees if that 401k at work has um, pretty high management fees or it just doesn't have a lot of options, right? You mm-hmm. can't find a target fund. You Everything is high expense ratios. We've talked about this in the past on the show. Um, so maybe you don't like the options in your work 401k. You don't have a lot of choice in those. So that could be one of the reasons. Um, but it say you are happy with the options at your 401k at work. Um, there's no reason why you wouldn't just use that 401k. It's effortless. It's easy to set up. And it's very likely that your work is paying some of the um, a, a small percentage of the management fees for you because that's usually how group plans are set up. So um, that would be that would you know yeah I think I think your instinct is right. If the accounts are doing the exact same thing for you, like essentially they're both pre-tax money, they're both a traditional four hundred one k and a traditional IRA. Yeah, uh, there's probably not a ton of reasons to have both if they have similar management fees. One last thing I wanted to say before we outro, I I don't think I've ever done this before, but I wanted to recommend a book. I haven't, I was telling Will this, I haven't stayed up reading a book past my bedtime in years. 
And uh, of course, of all books, it was a wonky book about cash flow management for business. Naturally. <laughs> um, but it is called Profit First, and it's by Mike Michalowicz. And uh, it's Profit First, Transform Your Business from a Cash-Eating Monster to a Money-Making Machine. And uh, the reason I think it's really great is it, it, it turns the traditional accounting practice of what's called GAP on its head. And, you know, if you don't own a business, this won't be super interesting to you. But if you're a freelancer or a small business, I think it's a really great way because it a lot of the things I recommend with budgeting, like sinking funds and hiding accounts from yourself and all of those sorts of mm -hmm. things are built into the system. Hmm. Um, and it's an easy read. He cracks lots of jokes and everything. Um, it's probably like the funniest accounting book you'll read. But um, I, I think it was, I, I have not seen anything like this as far as a business book. And I think it is probably most valuable to folks that are like artists or freelancers and are kind of in that place where they feel like they're, they're working for their business as opposed to their business working for them. I feel like it's a good way to kind of break that cycle because, you know, you could just have a real job and uh, be less stressed out, <laughs> but you chose to have a business, so you might as well have it work for you. Cool. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. So. You should put a link up to that on your website. Uh, yeah. I'll put a link in the show notes too. Um, yeah. I thought it would be great to end the show on a money win, uh, which is the thing we've been doing more and more. But um, Jesse who uh, is someone I know in person, he unfortunately had his car broken into and had his laptop stolen out of it. Yark. And um, he had gone for kind of the minimum coverage on his car insurance, so they didn't, they didn't cover the laptop. They didn't cover property in it. And uh, we were chatting, and he, you know, he's really bummed. He, he, is, he works in tech, so it's a lot of money, and um, he's mostly between jobs right now. So he was not super happy about having to spend $2,000 to replace his computer. And uh, I was like, hey, you have, you have renter's insurance, don't you? And he was like, oh, yeah, but it was in my car. It wasn't in my house. And I mentioned that renter's insurance often covers your property outside of your house. Really? Yeah, it's, it's general, similar to homeowner's insurance, it's often general property insurance. And the main reason I have my renter's insurance is because of my bike, actually. Um, it, uh, it usually oh. covers your bike when it gets stolen. I've been totally bad about getting renter's insurance, but... It's cheap, man. It's like and no, I didn't realize it came from my bike. That's yeah, great. it's like ten to eleven bucks a month usually. Um, More than my bike costs. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and and you know, it's um, I I it's it's good also because a lot of people think that if their house if their rental burns down, their landlord will cover it, but legally that that won't be true at all. So if all of your property burns up in a fire. Uh, you have no one will give you money unless you have renter's insurance um, because legally they can't your landlord can't insure your property because they don't have an interest in your property mm -hmm. um, so you know there's legal reasons but anyway Jesse ended up checking into his rentals and renter insurance and lo and behold they covered it so he, amazing he ended up um, getting a $2,000 laptop replaced um, which he totally didn't expect so um, that is a money win. It is a money win. It's uh, it's also a you know insurance win. Insu yeah, I... <laughs> the, the I mean the really crappy thing about insurance is that it's a product that you buy hoping you never have to use. <laughs> yeah. So it's not a fun expense to uh, to put into your budget. But um, renter's insurance is one of those things that I think is just it ends up being a no brainer, especially if you're on a tight income. Yeah. Um, because if you have less of an emergency buffer. If something really bad happens, right? There's less room for error. Yeah, and and so and paying that eleven dollars a month could really save you if you don't have a big emergency fund. I'm really into that. 
Yeah. Well, I think that wraps our show for today. I think it does. All right. <laughs> um, you have your marching orders, everybody. Track your expenses. Um, our producer is Will Romy, and our intro music is by Aaron Parecki. And I'm Lillian Kerbake, your personal finance educator and host. Thanks for listening, and till next time, remember to manage your money so it doesn't manage you. Give it to the